Marion Hatley was in the habit of looking for signs of discomfort in other women. On this Saturday train from Pittsburgh, she found herself glancing between her magazine and a facing aisle seat three rows down. The occupant? A woman in early middle age, undistracted by reading materials or companionship. Ankles crossed, hands clasped at her waist, she stared ahead transfixed, like a witness to a crime. This habit of Marianne's was nothing she welcomed or particularly enjoyed. But as a maker of ladies' underthings, she, like her mother Vera before her, had come to accept it as an occupational necessity. For in Vera's mind, some part of every woman's unhappiness was physical and therefore within the power of a corsetier to relieve. We cannot free a customer from a hopeless marriage, she often said. We cannot bring her beloved back from the grave. But we can save her from the torture of ill-fitting underclothes. It was impossible for Marion to tell how much her fellow passenger's distress could be blamed on her corset, hidden far beneath her winter coat. Yet almost certainly, this garment was in some way sinning against her, through drooping or gripping shoulder straps, maybe, or a bodice that here chafed, there restricted, and nowhere granted improvements worth the pains. These faults, and more, were typical of her rival's handiwork, and Marion had taken on the duty of removing them from the ranks of her customers' difficulties. Enough, she told herself, aware that her fellow passenger, like the many other women Marion had observed over the years, might feel like something trapped beneath the magnifying glass. She turned her attention to the shifting scenery beyond the nearest window, snow-bright fields, then dark stands of pine, then the sooty backs of trackside buildings, and considered how her own difficulties, the ones she was now fleeing, far eclipsed any that could be posed by a poorly fitted corset. She tried again to take hope that once the girls back at the shop got the word around that Marion Hatley, quote, the home wrecker, was no longer employed there, such business as had been lost would soon rebound. Marion doubted that the many men who patronized La Charmant Femme on behalf of their mistresses would give half a damn about how she spent her time outside the shop. But several long-standing customers, all of them married women, pledged to never again darken La Charmant's door as long as Marion remained on staff. One of these customers had been Livia Foxholm, who on a Monday of the previous month glimpsed the scene that was to be Marion's undoing. Benton Granger's sky-blue Packard pulling up before Alan's shoes, which he and Marion believed to be a safe distance from Le Charmant. The Packard released Marion for a day of work, but not before she and Benton parted with, quote, a lengthy and passionate embrace, a description that, though churned out by the rumor mill, did not embellish the truth. Perhaps because of the state she'd been in, still loved tipsy from her night with Benton, Marion never spotted Livia. In all likelihood, by the time Marion came down from the clouds and got to work, Livia was well on her way to getting word of what she'd witnessed to her sister, Althea, Benton's wife. In the days since, as stories of the lengthy and passionate embrace traveled along the gossip wire and made their way back to Marion, Benton had been out of town on business and had left no messages by telephone or mail at Marion's boarding house, 
bringing their affair to an end no better than she'd braced herself to expect. When, instead of a note from Benton, there came a letter from Ned Cook, the cousin she'd never met, Marion couldn't help but see its appearance as more than coincidental. Though she didn't believe in God or fate, it seemed some larger, if imperfect, force might be interceding on her behalf.' 